made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. His ways he made known to Moses. It was his acts that the children of Israel knew. I am preaching to you this morning, and I really do feel like I've come with a very strong word. I'm preaching to you this morning that there is no substitute for relationship. There is no substitute for relationship. You, I, we must have a relationship with God. And you, it is possible to come to church, sit on the seat, and not have a relationship with God. I want to talk about it this morning. God bless you. You may be seated. Israel knew the acts of God. In other words, Israel knew the things that God had done. But the Lord, or excuse me, but Moses. Moses knew the ways of God. Now, how many understand this morning that there is a tremendous difference between God's ways and God's works? I am thankful for every act of God in my life. I am thankful for every time God has worked in my life. But I don't want to only know His acts. I want to know His ways. I want to know His ways. We live in a day of substitutes. Anybody here, can you go back in memory long, far enough to remember what it was like when you had a substitute teacher come to school? Oh, those were good days. Now, every once in a while you'd have a teacher who was real serious and, and she'd, leave a, she'd leave a lot of busy work for those substitutes. She knew she was going to be gone. And she'd leave a lot of work for them. But the, the best way to get a substitute when I was growing up, they may be different now, they may be more stringent, but when I was growing up, the best way to get a substitute was, was to have one uh, when, when the teacher did not know she would not be there the next day. Okay? And so the sub would show up, and they'd have to just really figure out what they were going to do. Now, I know we've got some in here who sub and stuff. We tried We tried to take advantage of those situations None of you did that <laughs> Brother David knows what I'm talking about We did our best to take advantage of those situations And, and we, I mean, we'd tell all kinds of stuff You know, we'd, uh, yes, our teacher always lets us do that <laughs> yeah, she always lets us wander the halls during class, and, and we would we would do what we could, you know, trying to. And, and, and so I, I love those days. Some of you did too. And and uh, then you had those substitutes that came in though, and they said, you know, they didn't play those games, and and uh, that could actually be a worse day than the other. But we live in this day of substitutes. Um, we, uh, we have substitutes for everything, it seems. There are substitute sweeteners now. If you don't like sugar, then you could use sweet and low. And then they told us that sweet and low was bad for us. And they said you got to use Splenda. 
And then they said, Splenda's bad for you. And you got to use whatever that other stuff was that came out. What is it? How do you say it? Stevia. Stevia. Yeah. Clinton said, just forget about all that other stuff and no substitutes. And I'm telling you, it, it, it's constantly changing. I can't keep up, you know. It constantly changes and... And it's it'll be different in in a couple years. There'll be there'll be a new one, you know. And you're supposed to use that instead. And and there's all these substitute things that are constantly bombarding us. And and they've got folks. Who would have thought we would live in a day where they said uh, they said inst- you're going to have a burger, but it is not going to be a hamburger, a veggie burger. God bless you. If you like them. But I'm going to tell you what I did yesterday. Coming back from men's conference. We were heading back home. And I asked Shay. I said, where do, where do you think we should eat? And, and uh, he said, you ever eaten at David's Burgers? And I said, uh, no. I said, I've heard of it. I heard it's really good. He said, he said it is. You know. So we said, well, all right, it's on the way. So we... Went through North Little Rock. We ate at David's Burgers. And folks. <laughs> how many, I, I, feel, I feel my help in this place today. <laughs> they, they better send me a check when this service is over. Um, when I got there. Uh, I am so glad to report to you today. It was not a tofu burger. It was not a soy burger. I think that's what they tried to give us in high school, was those soy burgers. It was not a soy burger. It was not a veggie burger. It was not a tofu burger. It was grade A meat. <laughs> and it was, and, and they, you said they, uh, they grind their own meat there, and it comes from some of the best steaks. So you need to stop by there sometime and have your burger. It was delicious. It was delicious, and uh, and I enjoyed it, and I ate my real burger with real bacon on top of it, and I went up to the seventh heaven. <laughs> it was good, and and uh, then they did some. They did something else there that really endeared me to them. Uh, something that is, is not. You can't find just anywhere. They didn't just have any kind of French fries. You ever go to go somewhere and get French fries and they're those rubbery tasting French fries? There's a special place. And well, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. The best kind of French fry you can get are the real potato cup fries. And that's what they had. And uh, it was good. There were no substitutes. It was very good. But you can get sub- substitutes for anything now, you know. Substitute sweeteners and substitute uh, ingredients and, and all of these different things. But at the end of the day, you and I both know. Matter of fact, when I grew up in the house that I lived in, my mother, you know, she might, we might, Fry a bunch of food and stuff, but we weren't going to have real butter in my house. You know, we had margarine. And uh, 
Everything else could be unhealthy, but that butter's bad for you. It'll clog your arteries. <laughs> and then one day, Mime, which is my grandmother. It's French for grandmother. She came to visit. And Mime got to look in, in the kitchen. She was going to do something. And she got to look in and she said, where's the butter? I said, it's right there. That's all I knew. I said, she said, that's not butter. <laughs> I said, I said, that's what we always use. And I, she said, no, no, no. Come on, we're going to the store. So here we go. We uh, got in the car. We head to the store. And we got some real butter. And I'm going to tell you, I have been converted. I didn't know there was such a wonderful thing out there. And, uh, and, and it's the real thing now. That's what I prefer. That's what I like. But all these substitutes have bombarded us. And, and it's not a hard stretch for us to look and find that there are even some substitutes that have begun to creep their way into the church. There are substitutes that are creeping their way into the church. I'm going to tell you, the Bible said that there would come a day, there would be a, uh, a form of godliness, those that had a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It's a substitute. It's a substitute. They have a form, but it's not, it's not the real thing. And there are forms of worship. And there are forms of, of all kinds of things that are found within the church. When God created man, he did so with the intention of having fellowship with him. When God created Adam, he put him in the garden. God had an intention of two things. One, Adam would keep the garden. Two, God would fellowship with him. And the Bible said that in the cool of the day, the voice of the Lord would come down into the garden. What did that look like, Pastor? I don't know. I don't know exactly how to describe that to you. But in the cool of the day, the Lord would visit with Adam and Eve as they walked through the garden because God desired to have fellowship with people. What are you saying? I'm saying he, what it boils down to is God said, I want to have a relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to know you. I want you to know me. And I want to know you. And when Adam sinned, the relationship between God and man, it was forever altered. And that's why we have the incarnation. That's why we have the death, burial, and resurrection. Because all of those things were about restoring the relationship that God wants to have with humanity. And so I'm going to tell you today, God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to know you. But beyond that, God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him. Paul wrote one time, and he said, oh, that I might know him. Oh, that I could know him. I want to know the Lord. And when you look at the disciples, one has always stuck out to me. He kind of comes across a little um, little bit cocky sometimes, especially when he wrote in his own book, he would say, the disciple whom Jesus loved. <laughs> you know, But 
I think that's he wrote that way because he had a revelation that he had a relationship with God that was very deep. And that the Bible said John laid his head on the chest of Jesus in the upper room and and said said Lord is it, is it me that's going to betray you? He said it's not you John. There were those there that walked with Jesus. One in particular who did not have a relationship with Jesus. He he was there. Think about this. He was there when he fed 5,000. He was there when he walked on water. He was there when he raised the boy from the dead. He was there when Zacchaeus was up in the tree. And he said, come down Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. He was there when he healed blind Bartimaeus. He was there when the woman with the issue of blood touched him. He was there when Jairus' daughter was raised up. He was there for, for all of that. In other words, he knew his acts. But he did not know his ways. And I am concerned. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you today from the heart of a pastor. I am concerned about a generation that's coming along. And when I say generation, I'm not talking about a particular age group. I'm talking about this generation of all of us that are here. Because I don't just see it in young. I see it in young, old, middle-aged. I am concerned about a generation that knows God's works. But they don't know His ways. I am concerned about us coming to church, sitting on the pew, and and... and knowing when to clap our hands, and knowing how we should respond, but not really knowing God. I'll take it a step farther. I am concerned about us feeling the presence of God and enjoying the the presence of God at times, but not knowing Him. And and it's been it's been it's really been working on me and, and bothering me. And so uh, somebody shared something with me, and, and, it, and it it just I felt like the Lord said, "I want you to I want you to discuss some of these things." I had a friend that was reading a some recent uh, statistics and different things, and I understand that statistics are usually about as good as uh, whatever slant that you're wanting to show, but I do trust these a little bit more. This is from the Barna Group. And it shows the glaring lack of relationship between many churchgoers and God. Let me just tell you, the trappings of church do not replace your need for relationship. In 2012, that's pretty recent. In 2012, the Barna Group found that 46% of churchgoers, that's nearly half, 46% of churchgoers said that their life had not changed at all as a result of church going. Think about it. Half. For all intents and purposes. Half. Said their life had not changed at all. And these are people that go to church. They said, my life hasn't changed any bit. On top of that, three out of five church attendees, that is 61%, said that they could not remember one significant new insight 
gained by attending church services. In other words, they had heard nothing in the preaching that had brought any new revelation to them. 61%. And then they said that what is even more bothersome is that one-third of those, one-third of everybody that has attended a church in the past said that they have never felt God's presence while in a church setting. Are people going to church? They're not feeling God. They're not learning anything about Him. And their lives have not changed at all. And it's staggering to me. I want to tell you. I can teach you doctrine in this church. I can teach you new birth. I can teach you oneness of God. I can teach you the value of separation. I can teach you the value of worship. I can teach you the value of allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be cultivated in your life. I can teach you things, but I cannot teach you relationship. I can present information to you but I cannot make you live for God. It's that old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make it drink. I can tell you who God is, but I can't force you to have fellowship with Him. And that is probably, that is probably the great struggle for every pastor, is to, is to know that no matter what I do, no matter what I say, at the end of the day, I can't cause you to live for God. As a pastor, all I can do is pray and fast and present the word of the Lord to you and, and, and uh, counsel you and pray with you and, and do things like that. But I can't make your decisions for you. I can't make you have relationship. And it, and it, it, is, it is the most overwhelming, frustrating thing feeling to to know that there are people that God would love to do so much with people that are so gifted people that have such wonderful wonderful talents and and you could be such a blessing to the kingdom of God and God could work in your life in such a powerful and tremendous way but at the end of the day I can't make that happen for you you have to have a relationship with God. And some of us, I'm just going to take my time today and put this plow in deep and we may hit some rocks. We're just going to keep going, okay? Some of us have gotten to the point where we look for, uh, we look for entities to blame for our lack of relationship. And we blame the church. I can't have a relationship with God because of the church. and I can't have a relationship with God because of the pastor. I can't have a relationship with God 
because of other believers. And they're not really saying, I can't have a relationship with God. What they're saying is, I'm frustrated with God. And I'm frustrated with the church. And I'm frustrated with the pastor. And I'm frustrated with the others around me. And it all boils down to your own relationship with God. I, I am 32 years old. And I grew up, for the most part, in a pastor's home. And before that, when we were in Texas, had a wonderful pastor there. And been in church all my life. And I'll be the first to tell you, I have seen some of the, the, the most ridiculous stuff happen under the banner of church. I've seen it too. And I know that everything doesn't get done right. I am so thankful. I am so thankful that I had a dad who taught me in a very pivotal time of my life when he went through a particular... It wasn't even my situation. It was his situation. But when I watched the way he went through that situation, he taught me some things. I am so glad that I... I feel like I never got to the point where I based my walk with God, my connection with God on everybody else. In situations and circumstances. I'm so glad I had a dad that taught me that these things may come, but at the end of the day, I'm going to decide if I live for God or not. I'm going to decide if I live for... This lady is a great lady. And I love her. And as far as I'm concerned, she's just about as godly a person as you'd ever find anywhere. And I am thankful for her. But I'm going to tell you today that I don't base whether or not I'm going to live for God on her. I can't do that. Because this is not about her being the mediator between me and God. The Bible said there is one mediator. Folks, we're in the Holy Ghost this morning. There is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. So I don't use her as as some connection... She's going to have to live for God for her. And I'm going to have to live for God for me. As our kids grow, they're going to have to do it for themselves. That's the way that it's going to be. And and we get frustrated with, with other things sometimes. But at the end of the day, it really boils down to our own lack of relationship. I'm going to tell you, relationships are always cultivated. Relationships have to be cultivated. My wife, last night, uh, we, had, we had gone uh, over to the convo. It was a last-minute thing, and, and they were having the professional bull riders uh, are in town. And so we, we said, well, that would be neat. To go. Asher loves bull riding, you know, and said, that would be cool, you know. So we went over there, and... Uh, and did see a guy break his leg. And and uh, so 
this morning he was telling her something about how he was going to be a bull rider one day. <laughs> I don't think that was going over too well with Mama. <laughs> but uh, we we went over there and and uh, I went to get some snacks for us. And while I, my wife drinks Diet Coke, while I was up there, I got a uh, I got a Coke for me and Asher to share, and then I got a Diet Coke for her. Well, how many of you know that fountain drinks are better than bottled drinks? And my wife is a very big believer in that. And so I brought that bottled Diet Coke back, and she said, she said, thank you, but I'm, I'm not going to drink that. She said, I, you, she said I, if water would have been better, you know. And she said, we've been married 12 years. How do you not know this? And I do. I, but I thought. It's like, it's like somebody, uh, my mother tries to every once in a while slip in. Are you all okay this morning? I know I'm taking time, but my mother uh, tries to sneak by me every once in a while. And I like sweet tea with sugar, no substitutes. And she tries to put some Splenda in there. And she thinks she's slick. And she does half and half. Or, and I catch it every time, you know. you got to get up pretty early in the morning to pull the wool over my eyes. <laughs> so, you know, I, I thought, well, because she'll, she'll drink it. She wasn't going to drink it. She just didn't want it. She just didn't care for it. And uh, actually, there were some nice people next to us, and and got she got to give it to the lady next to us. And so we we did our part to help somebody. <laughs> uh, but a relationship it's cultivated. There's things you learn over time. There's things I know about her today that I didn't know about her 15 years ago. I thought I knew her, but I really know her better now. And 20 years from now, I'll be saying, I thought I knew her back in 2015, but I really know her now because these things grow. I've got to tell you something this morning. Your relationship with God, this is not a once and done thing. God is pulling us. He's pulling you and he's pulling me and he's saying, come closer to me. Come closer. There's so many things I want to tell you. There's so many things I want to show you. I know you've seen my acts. But I really would love for you to know my ways. I'd really like for you to know who I am. And I'd really like for you to know me. And I think that's what separates some of those who have had such powerful walks with God. They weren't just interested in seeing the works of the Lord. But they said, oh, I just want to be close to you, God. I just want to be close to you, Lord. That's what I'm striving for. That's what the Lord's been dealing with me about, saying there's, there's some folks that I'm trying to get closer to me. I'm trying to pull them in. And, 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 and they, 
you know, they're doing okay, and, and they come to church, and, and they get involved in the service, and, but they really don't have a relationship with me. They just know about me. They don't have that closeness with me. Altars, again, don't misunderstand me this morning. Altars are necessary and needful. But even an altar experience does not replace relationship. Follow me. Altars are for moments. They're supposed to be. They're supposed to be. Roadside markers on the journey. They're for moments, but they do not replace relationship. So we need them. I've told you, I'll say it again. I'm like my father-in-law on this. Ride the altar all the way to heaven. But the altar does not replace your relationship with God. 1 Kings 9 and 25, the Bible says this. Three times in a year did Solomon offer burnt offerings and peace offerings upon the altar which he built unto the Lord. And he burnt incense upon the altar that was before the Lord, so he finished the house. Three times in every year, up till he died, Solomon would go up to this altar that he had built to the Lord, and he would offer burnt offerings on it, he would offer peace offerings upon it. Yet Solomon, his end was tragic. He was, the Bible said many outlandish women caused him to sin. Did he cause to sin? Solomon knew how to build an altar to God, but he knew, he knew nothing about building a relationship with God. And I am concerned that even in the Pentecostal movement, we know how to build an altar to God, but we do not know how to build a relationship with God. And we... We, and we should celebrate our moments. But if all you have to celebrate are moments. And you're not daily walking with the Lord. You are missing out. You are missing. Do you know how wonderful it is to know Him? Do you understand what a great thing it is to really know the Lord? To get to the point where God says, Oh, you talking about my servant Job? Yeah. I know Job. He knows me. And I preached this not too long ago, but when the devil came to present himself before the Lord, with the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? God brought Job up. Because he had a relationship with him. And I'm wondering how many of us does God know like that? I'm wondering. The Bible said about Moses, I believe it was. He said, for I know him. That he will direct his children after me. That's how God God said, I know him. And I know how he's going to direct his kids to live for me and to follow me. We've got that kind of a relationship.
And yet people are going to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And they say, I'm not learning anything. I'm not getting any closer to the Lord. I don't feel any different. I can't say that I'm feeling the presence of God. Uh, None of these things are happening for me. My life has not changed at all as a result of my going to church. Ladies and gentlemen, what is happening? What is happening? And I understand that these statistics don't necessarily, necessarily reflect fully the apostolic church. I understand that. But I am going to tell you that it does happen in the apostolic church too. And people leave our services sometimes. And we have a powerful service. And somebody else might, might leave and say, I didn't feel anything. I didn't experience anything. I didn't get anything. And it's because they're not cultivating relationship. I've got news for you. God is not going to make you want to follow Him. God is not going to tell you, you're going to follow me whether you like it or not. It's not going to happen. He is drawing. The Bible said His Spirit. Drawing. And, and, and he's constantly pulling on us. But somewhere along the way, we've got to take responsibility and accountability. And if you think that you're always going to... I remember whenever I was very young, and, and I would go... And I've talked about this sort of thing before, but let me deal with it again. I would go to camps and stuff. And I looked forward to those camps so much because I knew I was going to get such a blessing from God at camp. I knew that. I've got news for you. You, you want to know why I got such a blessing at camp? It's because I put more into it when I went to camp. It's not because there was more of God there. It's not because God wasn't moving in my church. It's because I knew I had already made it. I had an expectation. When I get there, I'm really going to push. And I'm, well, I've got a question for us. Why can't we bring that in here? Why can't I have that right here? There is nothing to prohibit it. And I, I'm going to tell us this morning. It's not the will of God. That we live from these. Spaced out moments. From over here to over here. And we just pray and hope that somehow we get it. We got enough to last us from there to there. It is not the will of God. If that's how your Christianity works, you do not have a relationship with God. Just going to say it this morning. You don't have a relationship with God if you're making it from point to point. The way you know you have a relationship with God is that when you get hit really hard, And a bunch of stuff comes against you. And things don't work out the way you want them to work. And and you look ahead of you and you say, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. But I know this one thing. I may have to leave a whole lot of stuff by the wayside. But I'm not leaving my walk with God by the wayside. When those settlers were going west and they were on the Oregon Trail. History records that. Others would come along behind them and they're on the trail. 
they'd see pianos worth, worth thousands of dollars. Beautiful pianos. Family heirlooms that had been passed down. And if those things had survived to today, they'd be collector's items worth no telling how much money. China. Beautiful hutches and tables and, and beds and all that kind of stuff. That they said, we're carrying this with us. We're bringing this. But as they went on the way, they got to the point where they said, you know what? If we're going to make it, if we're going to clear the Rockies and be there in time, we can't bring all this stuff with us. So we're going to have to take this off. And we're going to have to take this off. But the one thing they didn't take off, they, you don't take mama off the wagon and you don't take the babies off the wagon because that's what really matters. Now, I'm going to tell us something this morning. There's too many people that have taken Jesus Christ off the wagon. And they're saying, if I can just hold on long enough to get through that mountain pass, I think on the other side I'll get the touch I need to get me back where I need to be with God. And I came to preach to you today and tell you, that's no way to live for God. You're not promised tomorrow. You don't know you're going to get through that mountain pass. You better go ahead and lay everything else aside. You ought to lay aside the china. Lay aside the piano. But my goodness, take Jesus with you. Take Jesus with you. You can't make it without Him. You're not going to be where you need to be without Him. You're not going to get to our glorious destination if you don't have Him. And God sent me to preach this morning and remind Sanctuary Church. Say, you tell them, I love them. I want to pull them close to me. I, I miss my time of prayer with them. I miss that time when they would they read my word. I miss the time that they spend with me. Would you tell Sanctuary Church that I sure would like to bring them in close. I sure do love them. And God will struggle with you for a while. But at some point, the Lord says, now come on and grow up. Let me deal with something. I, I, I am, I'm taking too long this morning. But let me deal with something that is very important. And it goes against some of our, how we like things to, to, to be. You cannot expect God. To deal with you. If you've lived for God for 20 years. You cannot expect God to deal with you today. The, the exact same way he dealt with you. When you first came to know him. Would, explain that to me. Okay. When I first started living for God. I wasn't. I, I didn't have relationship with him. And so the Lord. The Lord understood I was coming from a very limited experience and background. And he said, okay, I'm going to, what you've given me here is enough for me to connect with you and pull you on to the next level. But at some point in time, the Lord says, all right, these are things you know. You know this. You know what it's all about. 
You understand these things. So don't expect me. Lord, help me this morning. Don't expect me to all the time say, I'm going to go back right here and baby you again. And baby you, baby you, baby you. Now, we backslide, we mess up. God's going to meet us at the point where we turn around. He turned. The prodigal son was coming down the road. Notice that the pr- prodigal son had to head home. But as soon as the father saw him, he took off running. So the Lord will do that. But the prodigal had to make his way toward the house. If that prodigal had been a five-year-old child, the father would have said, I'm going out to get him. But he's a young man. He knows better. And he can't make him come home. He's got to want to come home. And do you understand? Are you all with me this morning? So the Lord's saying, look. Now I babied you when you were a baby. But my goodness. You're going to have to grow up a little bit. And you're going to have to strike out after me. You're going to have to follow me. You're going to have to want to come close to me. And I'll do everything I can. But at some point, you've got to grow up a little bit. The Apostle Paul said it like this. He said, come on, church. He said, would you understand that you're living off milk and God's saying, I got steak? Grow up. we got to grow up. So no, God's not going to deal with me like He did when I was 10 years old. I'm not who I was back then. I know more. To whom much is given, much is required. I know more. And I'm not trying to mess up your doctrine and tell you that God doesn't meet you where you are. You understand, I think, what I'm saying. We've got to do something. We've got to fight for this relationship with God. Ruth and Orpah, both of them were daughter-in-laws of Naomi. And Naomi and her family had left Bethlehem and they had gone into Moab. Her boys grew up there. They married these girls, Ruth and Orpah. While there, her husband and both her sons died. And so Naomi said, I got to go back to Bethlehem. And Ruth and Orpah started out on that trip with her. But only Ruth had a deep enough relationship with Naomi to ultimately forsake it all and go with her. Orpah kissed her, but she left. Ruth didn't kiss her, but she did cleave to her, the Bible said. So I'm not impressed with the kiss. What I want to know is, do you have the ability to stay with him when the going gets tough? Judas kissed Jesus. He still betrayed him. John laid his head on his chest and he never left him. I'm not impressed with the kiss. I'm impressed with those that say, I'm going to stick with Jesus. This relationship with God means more than all the world to me. I'll stay with Him when I feel discouraged. I'll stay with Him when I feel like I've backslidden. I'm coming back. When I feel broken, I'll stay with Him. When I feel worn out, I'll stay with Him. When it feels like everything's come against me, I will stay with Jesus. I've got a question for you this morning. Can you stay with Jesus? 
Is your relationship strong enough to keep pulling you along? The question of modern Christianity seems to be, how little can I do and be okay with God? And the Lord's saying, oh my goodness, you're living so far below your privileges. My kids, I got on to one of them the other day, won't tell you who. I got on to one the other day, tears coming down his face, Brother Randall. I said, you don't love me anymore. And this is how I handled I don't know if I handled it right. This is how I handled it. I spun around. I was driving. I spun around. I said, let me tell you something. I didn't say, yes, I do. I spun around. I was a little aggravated. I said, let me tell you something. Yes, I do. And there's not a single thing you could ever do that would make me stop loving you. There's not a thing in the world that you'll ever do. And I will no longer love you. But I expect better from you on some of these things. And you know better than that. And we had us a little moment right there. When, 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 when that transpired. And when that happened. Because I was telling you, you can do better than that. And I thought, I wonder how many times God looks at Kenneth O'Connell and says, here you are whining and fussing and being upset at me about this. Of course I love you, Kenneth O'Connell. But you're, you know better than that. You can do better than that. And I wonder how many times he looks at those in his church and he says, why are you trying to get by on bare minimum?" Why are you trying to get by just being as far away from me as you possibly can be, but still being able to say, I'm part of it? Somebody help me preach right now. Why are you getting so far away, and, 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 but you still want to be able to say, I'm part of the church? And, and how, how about you just love me and say, I want to get as close to the Lord as I can possibly get? Ladies and gentlemen, there is no substitute. For relationship. There is nothing that is going to take the place of you having a relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't care what it is. I don't care what hobby it is. If your hobby is causing you to not have a relationship with God, you need to get rid of your hobby. I don't care what it is. If it's causing you to lose out with God, you need to get rid of it because there is no substitute for a relationship with God. I'm preaching too long this morning. I, but, but hear me. Hear me, Sanctuary Church. One of these days when we stand before the Lord, we're not going to feel like anything we substituted for our walk with God was ever worth it. It's not going to be worth it. It's not going to be worth it. Oh, help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. God, move us beyond this, this bare minimum approach to Christianity to where we say, I want to do what pleases God because I don't just want to know His works, but I really would love to know His ways. I'd really like to know Him. I'd really like to know how He feels. I'd really like to know... When the Apostle Paul wrote, 
He wrote a church. He said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Spirit of God. What he was saying is, there should be enough relationship with God in you. You should know his ways enough. That when you do something that hurts him. And you do something that transgresses against him. There should be something inside of you. That says I've just grieved the Lord. I've just grieved the Lord. And something should say that's not the kind of relationship I want to have with God. I'm not trying to get by on this thing and live in some kind of uh, low level of Christianity. I don't want to grieve God. I don't want to cause God to have grief at my expense. I want to know Him. If I never see a blind eye open, I still want to know Him. And if I never see diabetes healed in this life, I still want to know Him. If I never see the miracles that I'm wanting to see, I still want to know Him. I still want to know Him. If my family forsakes him, I still want to know him. So let me walk with you, Jesus. Don't ever leave me alone. For without you, I could never, no, never make heaven my home. If you have been coming to church, but you know you don't have a relationship with God, I'm preaching to you today. If you've been showing up, you've been seeing all that he does. But you don't know him. And you don't ever talk to him. And you don't ever feel like you hear from him. I'm calling you today to repent. And I'm calling you today to go after him with everything you have. Quit trying to put some kind of a yesteryear responsibility on God that says He's got to do it the way He did it back then. You're not who you were back then. You know more than you knew back then. Well, I can remember it used to be I could cry at the drop of a hat. Well, what needs to happen is you need to understand that God's saying look I dealt with you in that place in your life but I'm, I'm expecting you to step up a little bit more now likewise ye elder teach the younger why because I've come through all those things I've come through those transitions in my walk with God come through those times in my life and I understand that God begins to deal with me in different ways. Why do you do that, Lord? Because 
I'm trying to bring you along. I'm trying to get you to a place you've never been before. Folks, I probably have not preached this the way I wanted to preach it. But I do think the presence of God has been in this room very strong today. And I know that the Lord is here right now. And there is conviction that is settling upon our hearts right now. And you know, you know, if God is pulling on you. Now, I'm going to challenge us right now with this altar call. In a moment, I'm going to want everybody who will to come. But right now, here's what I want to do. I'm not saying that you're backslidden. But it is a possibility, and you may be. But there could be possibility that you're not backslidden. But you've started skipping rocks. From moment to moment. From that service to that other service. And you're skipping rocks. When God says, you're not going to make one of those jumps one of these days. Just walk with me. Just walk with me. Quit spacing it out. Just walk with me daily. Just know me. And maybe you feel convicted today to say... I need to work on my relationship with God a little bit. I've gotten a little bit lax on some things. I know I'm challenging us today because this is not what we like. But if there's anybody who would identify with that, could we all stand together this morning? Is there anybody? Oh, church. Is there anybody that will step out And say, I'm coming to the altar. Because I know, maybe I'm not backslidden, but I sure could stand to do some work on my relationship with God. Thank you. Thank you. anybody else I wish we'd all make our way to the altar today this isn't going to be a moment that we leapfrog from this one to another one it's going to be another starting point for us